You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Good to see everybody again this morning. Now, I know what you're all thinking. You all are like, wait a second. Last week when you preached, you told us that we were going to be hearing from new voices and that we're all holy, and yet here you are preaching again. I know, I know. I'm sorry, I hope you don't mind. There was a couple of scheduling conflicts, some confluence of events, and I am filling in as your emergency preacher for this Sunday. Happy to do it, but because it was a short week and I didn't get to prepare the way I normally prepare, I actually started thinking, what message do I absolutely love that I'd be interested in adapting or preaching again? And I picked out the one. I love preaching this message. I am adapting it. Why am I adapting it? Because with all the events that have gone on this week, the conviction of George Floyd's murderer, uh, the, the killing uh, of Makia Bryant, uh, the continued tension we have around racist systems of oppression in America, got me thinking that this actually just doesn't happen on its own. I believe it starts with really bad theology. And I want to talk about the really bad theology that I believe leads to systems of racism, especially systems of justice that are racist, and the oppression of people, especially our siblings of color. You see, we too often do not worship God. Instead, we worship our Bible. We worship our Bible as the final word. We worship our Bible as the peace that gives us boundaries. The Bible says it, therefore we believe it. And not only do we feel that way in the way we worship our scriptures, but it's a certain aspect of our Bible that we believe. You see, we believe the plain English reading that happens in the 21st century that is highly, highly influenced by white Western European male theologians. Okay? That is the scripture that we believe gives us the final word. I'll say it again. It's that plain English speaking, heavily influenced by white Western European theologians. And so when people say to us, they say, hey, you are not being biblical or you're not preaching from scripture. They're not saying, hey, you're not preaching from the Bible or whatever. What they're saying is, hey, you're messing with my interpretation of the plain English 21st century reading that's been heavily influenced by white male Western European theologians. Stop doing that. To which I say and you say, we all say no. In fact, you are heretical for believing that, right? But, but here's the thing. I think when we look at our scripture as the end game, looked at through one lens and one lens only, it gets us to a place of dehumanization. I truly believe that. And none so more than with this verse. Now, I love preaching on this verse. Last time I did it was two years ago. So for those of you who are here, see if you can guess what new stuff I've put in. For those of you who are new, wonderful. This one's going to be fresh, right? It says this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we have all heard that passage, and we all take that passage to be a final say on who gets into heaven and who doesn't, or who gets eternity and who doesn't, right? When the question is posed to us, Hey, will Muslims and Jews and Hindus and Buddhists and Presbyterians and Catholics, will they go to heaven? We 
refer to this passage. We say, well, Scripture tells us, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus, right? That's what we end up saying. And this has been used against us in many, many ways. Hey, no one comes to the Father but through Jesus. I don't like the direction you're headed because you're starting to interpret Scripture in a way that is not plain English speaking, heavily influenced by white Western European theologians. What are you doing? Jesus is the only way, right? We, we start to put major boundaries around this Scripture. Now, when we put major, major boundaries around this Scripture, what happens is we, we, we start to dehumanize Right now, here on earth, if we're not evangelizing, we're dehumanizing. You see, because as soon as people say, I don't know if that's what that passage means, or I think anybody can get to heaven, or whatever the case may be, all of a sudden, we think of them as less than. And in thinking of them as less than, then we're allowed to commit genocide, right? As what happened, as what's been happening with our indigenous population for hundreds of years in this country, which we have yet to even talk about. And if we believe that Jesus is the only way and you reject that, well, then, of course, we can demonize our, our brown siblings in the Middle East and in Asia, right? We can do that because they follow different religions and believe different things, which means they are dangerous. They're not going to eternity. And I absolutely believe that the racist laws we have in this country, especially laws around justice, stem from a belief that happened during slavery that if you were African, you were not chosen by Jesus. Therefore, you were not going to go to heaven. And I think that dehumanization has carried itself to today and some of the racist institutions that we see. That is what I believe. And so now more than ever, it is time for us to open this scripture up to a new way of interpreting, a new way of thinking about it. As my friend Josh Scott says, he says this, he says, if I'm holding on to an interpretation of the Bible that diminishes the humanity of another, then I must let it go. There is a better interpretation to be discovered. Now, I hear what you're all saying, I know what you're all saying, and what you're all saying is, well, Jonathan, isn't that just twisting scripture to fit our needs? Isn't that just twisting scripture to do what you want it to do? And I would say no, not at all. I think what twisting scripture is, is looking at the plain English version and saying, this is it, and we're done, and there's nothing else here, right? When we actually have to go in and interpret scripture, like without looking at the plain English meaning, it means we need to go back into the context and culture. It means we need to, to pay attention to what other voices or what other sources might be telling us. It means we're not going to just get to look at one passage. We need to study the entirety of the scripture. It becomes a lot harder for us when we start to look at different interpretations. But like we say, we take the Bible so seriously that we don't want to take it Literally, and by literally we mean in that white Western European theologian plain English way. So let's get back into this and let's do some hard work. And luckily, I did a lot of the hard work a couple years back when I first preached on this. But I'm going to do the hard work for you again anyway. So let's read, okay? Let's talk about how this scripture can be rescued and saved and not be used to exclude. It starts by saying this, Jesus answered... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Already, when we forget about the words Jesus answered, we are already misinterpreting scripture because Jesus is answering a question. Well, what question is Jesus answering? Is he answered? Did somebody say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, 
will Muslims and Buddhists and Catholics get into heaven or not? Is that the question that Jesus is answering? Is Jesus answering, you know, hey, where will we go when we die? Is, you know, I don't know. Is Jesus, is, you know, is Jesus answering like, why are baggy jeans back in style? I thought we did away with those in the 90s. Like, what question is Jesus answering here? Well, let's go back a little bit. And it says this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Okay, well, there's the question. Still doesn't help us out very much. Why is Thomas saying, Lord, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? Well, for this, we have to go all the way back to John 13. And when we go all the way back to John 13, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. That's kind of an odd thing to do, so the disciples know something's wrong. Something's up, it's a little bit of a tense time, there's a little bit of anxiety, people aren't quite sure what is going on or what Jesus is going to do or say, and then it happens. Jesus says this, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, we all are sitting here where hindsight is 2020, and we're like, stupid disciples, don't they know that Jesus is going to be arrested in Jerusalem and tried and hung on a cross? Don't they know that? No, they don't know that. Like I always say, they don't know it because they didn't know they were in Bible times and they didn't know they were going to be written up in the scriptures either. So the, we need to do the hard work of putting ourselves in their shoes. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples for a minute. Let's do that by creating this scenario. Let's say that during COVID, which has actually happened to many of us, during COVID, your friend calls you. Your friend goes, hey, I know there's a lot of uncertainty going on right now. And I know you're not quite sure what's going to happen. But listen, I'm working on this startup out here and I'm in Albuquerque. Why don't you just move out to Albuquerque? Because nobody knows what's going on and you could do work from anywhere. And, and why don't you help me with this startup? And so you're like, okay. You leave everything, right? You leave your family, you sell your apartment, you sublet your apartment, you're selling stuff all over the place. You're trying to move, you finally get to Albuquerque, you get to your friends and you've given it all up. You're starting a new life in Albuquerque. You're working really hard. Everything's going your way. You know, you're following your friend and, and things feel successful. And then one day your friend comes up to you and your friend says, hey, I'm leaving. And you say, okay, great, where are you going? And they say, well, I'm moving out of Albuquerque. And you go, okay, well, where are you moving? And they go, well, I can't tell you. And you go, what do you mean you can't tell me? I moved from New York during COVID to like help you out with this startup. Like, how can you not tell me? Like, can't you understand I dropped everything to hang with you? And like, now you're leaving me and you can't tell me why you're leaving? If you can feel that and understand that, then we can understand where the disciples are coming from. Because they too left everything, their family. They do, too had to sell possessions, leave jobs, and do all that stuff to follow Jesus. And so when Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, they're going, wait a second. We've given up a lot. We want to be able to go with you. Which is why Peter um, says this. Peter says, hey, why can't I follow you? That's what Peter says. And you know how Jesus responds? He goes, well, by the end of the day, you're not even going to acknowledge me. You're going to deny me. Right? Imagine that. Imagine you saying to your friend, hey, I'll go with you. Like things are still uncertain, I'll go with you. And your friend going, no, not only can you not come with me, but at the end of the day, you're gonna deny you even knew me, right? You'd be like, what are you talking about? 
So right away, can we sense the confusion of the disciples? They are people who have done that move to wherever, away from their families. They've sold their possessions. They've gotten other jobs. And now Jesus is saying they're leaving. They're afraid for their livelihood. Okay, we get that. And then Jesus sort of senses that. And so what Jesus does is he says, okay, listen, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. Now, that might sound a little confusing to us, but in those days for the disciples, that made perfect sense. Why did it make perfect sense? Because this happened all the time all of the time. You see, when there was going to be a union, most of the time between husband and wife, when there was going to be a union, what the groom would do would be to go back and build rooms onto his father's house. They were called insulas. He would build these rooms onto his father's house and the father would come around. The father would go, this room is not ready. Start over again. This room looks good. This room's okay, right? You would build rooms on your father's house. And then when it came time, that the rooms were perfect. Then the, the word would spread to the rest of the neighborhood and they would say, okay, we're ready for the bride to move in and we're ready for all the bride's family to move in and all the people who work for the bride to move in and they would all move into the father's house with many rooms. This was a normal thing. So now you can see how this would be absolutely good news for the disciples. They're going, okay, well, we're just, you know, Jesus is building insulas, like fantastic. Like this happens all the time. And remember, they're also Jewish, which means they're not thinking about heaven at all. Okay. They're, they're seeing Jesus as the Messiah who will be king. They're not seeing him as like some heavenly figure. So they're going, great. Jesus is going to be king. He's building this house with many rooms. That means I'm probably going to have a place in, in Jesus's court, right? Like I'm probably going to have a, a, like a position of high standing. This is fantastic. Great. Okay. That's where that, that's what they're thinking. And so then with all of that knowledge and all of that context, we get Thomas's question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Do we see that this is a really honest kind of literal question? Hey, where are you going to build this house? How do we get to this house? Can you give us a map to this house? Are you still planning on being the king? Are you still the Messiah? Like, like are all these things still going to happen? Like, can you picture us saying, hey, where are you moving to? I'm still cool doing the startup with you. I just need to know where to move with you. Just tell me where to go and I'll meet you there. To which Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, can we say and agree that what Thomas is not doing when he's asking this question is going, hey, Jesus, I know you just said that you're leaving and my whole life is in flux, but uh, you know what's going to happen to Muslims and Jews and Buddhists when they die? Are they going to go to heaven and be with you? Do we see how out of context and ridiculous it is to think that that is the question that Jesus is answering? No. It's completely and utterly different. And the audacity we have to take a plain English 21st century, 21st century like version of scripture and exclude people based on this without doing the hard work of context and culture. So what is Jesus saying to this? I like what Brian McLaren says. Brian McLaren says, in this light, 
Jesus is saying, listen, you don't need to understand all this. You simply need to trust me. Don't look for a way apart from me. Don't look for a route or a destination, some concept or technique or system of thought that is separate from me. I'm just trying to give you information or instruction so you no longer need me and instead trust me. Just trust me. Now, I think that when most of us hear this, it might not be great news. Now, why might it not be great news? Well, a couple of things. Our scripture has always been the be-all, end-all. And what I just said is that this passage that's always been interpreted one way probably isn't that way. That doesn't feel like good news. Secondly, we love structure. We love boundaries. We thrive with structure and boundaries. And this passage has always given us structure and boundaries, right? Don't stray too far away from Jesus. Otherwise, we might go to hell. There's this great book by a woman named Sheena Iyengar. It's kind of old now, but she wrote, uh, it's a book called The Art of Choosing. And there's this story in the book that has stuck with me forever. And I'm going to preach, I preached on this two years ago. I'm preaching on it again. Uh, it, 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 she did a survey after the Berlin Wall fell. You see, when the Berlin Wall fell, it was 1989, and it was like the end of communism. Anybody around? Anybody alive back in those days? I know I was. I was in middle school, and it was probably awful. But anyway, um, in 1989, the Berlin Wall fell, and those who were uh, part of a communist regime were now free, so to speak. So eight years later, Iyengar goes and does a survey, and this is what she finds out. She finds out that 97%, 97% of the people who used to be a part of communist Germany were less happy in democratic Germany. Less happy. She found that 90% of the people she interviewed and surveyed would go back to some form of communism without the wall. And she found out that 25% of the people actually wanted the wall back. They wanted it back to the way it was. Why? Because the fall of the Berlin Wall took away all structure. And it took away all boundaries. You see, before, everybody got the same apartment, the same furniture, the same car, the same clothes, the same shoes, and the same food, right? And now that's all changed. All of a sudden, the world is wide open, and they don't know what to do with all the choices they have, and they don't understand the way capitalism works, which did any of us really understand it? And, and, and you know, they, they don't like the fact that when they walk into a grocery store, instead of there being one or two options, there are now eight options. We do not operate well when there are no boundaries. But, but here's the thing. If we're going to follow Jesus Christ and if we're going to trust Jesus Christ, most of the time, there won't be boundaries. It is going to feel a bit mysterious. You know, I've had a really hard week. It's been a week of uncertainty and I would give nothing more than to pray and know that Jesus is like, I got it, I'm working on it, here's the way it's gonna look. That never happens. Why would it happen in this case? The truth of the matter is, when we are on a journey where we follow and trust in Jesus, it's probably going to have some pitfalls along the way. There's going to be some mystery attached, but it's going to be way better. Why is it going to be way better? Because Jesus is giving us a new commandment. What is this commandment? I'll tell you that this is not about a place. Okay, it's not about heaven. It's not about a certain group of people getting to heaven. It's not knowing that we have it right and other people have it wrong. That creates dehumanization. That creates, uh, you know, capital murder. That creates systems of racism, right? But what Jesus is telling us 
is, hey, you will continue to walk in my footsteps. Look at me. Look at my life. Look at my way. Look at my deeds. Look at my character. Has my character ever been one of exclusion or keeping people out? No. My character has always been about compassion and healing and acceptance and forgiveness and inclusion and love from beginning to end. And if that's the case, then why would we ever interpret this scripture in a different way? All that does is lead to hurt. You see, to do the hard work of getting into the interpretation of the culture and the context is always pointing us back to trust and to love and to inclusion. But it still doesn't answer our question. You know, you know the question, question. Jonathan, who's actually going to get into heaven? And here's how I respond to that. I don't know. And any pastor who tells you they do know is lying to you. Because none of us know. Because none of us have died and come back from the dead. That's just something we haven't done. Uh, and so what do I think? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I go back to this story that I always think about. It's a story about a dad who caught his son stealing something from a store. The dad caught his son stealing something and, and the dad took the son's hand and he put the hand over a candle burning his son's hand. And rightfully so, the father was arrested, right? What an archaic, terrible thing to do to your child. And yet, we have a theology, a bad theology, that says if we don't acknowledge Jesus as the only way, that our parent is not only going to put our hand into fire, but to put our whole body into fire for eternity? That's not a God I necessarily want to worship. In fact, that's a really small God. I am way more interesting in worshiping a God of inclusion of a Jesus who says, trust me, even when the way isn't lit up and there's no signs pointing in the right direction, I'm way e I'm, I have a way easier time believing in a God who says, hey, when all else fails, choose love. That's going to be your best interpretation because I have never done it any other way. Look at Jesus. He'll show you. And what I'm interested for our church here at Forefront is I'm interested in erasing exclusion. I'm interested in erasing anything that separates us from us over here and them over there. And I'm against any racist policy that comes because of that belief. When Jesus says, hey, pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's exactly what I want to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forefront is a part of that. I do not want to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And if I believe a couple of right words and phrases, I'll go to heaven with you. That doesn't make sense. So hear the good news. You're not out of bounds. You're not excluded. You are included and you are loved. And you are part of this kingdom here on earth where we get to tell others that they are loved and included. And exclusion, exclusion is not in this interpretation. It isn't even in this vocabulary. And with this, I want to go ahead and I want to take communion. We did this last week together. I want to do it again this week together. I have my communion right here. I have uh, uh, nothing exciting this time around. It's water and a pistachio nut. And I'm going to ask us to repent. Remember, repent's not a scary word. It just means change our mind. I want us to think about who we've excluded. Who have you excluded? Who have I excluded? 
And we could drop that in the comments so you can think about it. You could write it in a journal. And I'm going to confess, you know, I've excluded people in my lifetime. I've excluded people who don't think the way I think. I've definitely been racist. I've definitely had microaggression after microaggression. I've excluded people of color. I've excluded my black siblings. I've excluded my Asian siblings. And as I take the body of Christ, I am thankful. I am thankful that the body of Christ is not a symbol of exclusion, but it's a symbol that we are all loved and all included. And in taking the body of Christ, I'm going to work to do the same thing. I want us to take the cup, the cup that represents Jesus' blood. And I want us to think about the ways in which we are going to better provide an inclusive Jesus to others. For me, it's going to start by simply starting with love. From there, it's working to make sure racist systems don't exist anymore. How are you going to bring inclusion? What ways can you do it? Maybe you want to write it down. Maybe you want to drop it in a comment. Maybe you just want to think about it. And as we take the cup, let's thank God that Jesus' death was not this transaction that gets us into heaven so long as we say Jesus is the only way. But Jesus' death shows us what happens with broken institutions. And Jesus' resurrection shows us what happens when inclusion and love win. May that be the same for us today. And to that I say, amen. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you leave nobody out. We thank you you exclude no one. We thank you for the good gifts that come through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the fact that you show us your love that's never-ending and abounding. You show it through Jesus. Let us show that never-ending, abounding love to all who seek it and need it. Let's show it in our action and in deed. Forgive us when we're not able. And thank you for the grace that comes anyway. So we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.